I want to start tonight with a rather long quote from James Montgomery Boyce, and so long I've put it on the screen to follow along with. He says this, it is difficult to image a greater contrast between two persons than the contrast between the important and sophisticated Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, and the simple Samaritan woman. He was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. He was a Pharisee. She belonged to no religious party. He was a politician. She had no status whatever. He was a scholar. She was uneducated. He was highly moral. She was immoral. He had a name. She is nameless. He was a man. She was a woman. He came at night to protect his reputation. She who had not reputation came at noon. Nicodemus came seeking. The woman was sought by Jesus. A great contrast, yet the point of the stories is that both the man and the woman needed the gospel and were welcome to it. And Nicodemus is an example of truth that no one can rise so high as to be above salvation. The woman is an example of the truth that none can sink too low. So many invisible barriers to cross in this story, and Jesus crosses them all. I say invisible because there's no wall standing there. There's no, there's no plexiglass. There's no, there's no hedge there that one can see, but they're definitely there. The fact that a Jew talks to a Samaritan is huge. I don't even know what the answer would be today, but could you imagine one of you guys approaching a jihadist, not just a Muslim, but someone who wanted to blow your house up? Uh, could you imagine a time where a man couldn't walk up to a woman and just start talking to him? That seems strange to us, but I'm here to tell you there's still places in the world where men don't just walk up and talk to a woman they don't know. Um, lots of places, actually. There's actually probably more places you don't than there are places you do, to tell you the truth. Not only that, there was a lot of water under the bridge. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. There were nationalistic issues. There were religious issues. And all of these were real barriers. They maybe weren't seen, but they were ones that Jesus just stepped through and met with this woman. And as James Montgomery Boyce would say, this is an unusual meeting. But the overarching truth for me is that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Amen, brothers and sisters. The gospel is for everyone. And the Holy Spirit gives us the story in this chronological order through the Apostle John so that we might see, and don't miss it, he deals with very high-ranking Nicodemus and very low-ranking Samaritan woman, named Nicodemus, unnamed Samaritan woman, uh, powerful, known status-holding Nicodemus, powerless, non-status-having Samaritan woman. Samaritan woman's hiding from everyone in plain sight. Nicodemus seems to be hiding from everyone by going to see Jesus at night. No matter who's hiding what, Nicodemus shows us that Jesus is where you take your questions. And no matter who's hiding, the Samaritan woman shows us that Jesus can find you right where you are. Let's look at a very long 
passage. I joked on Facebook earlier this week, when I say how many verses I'm going to read, people are going to start ordering pizza right away. Like, be knocks at the door for delivery here in a few minutes. But don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to read a very long passage because I believe the whole story needs to get seen tonight and make some big points and then send everybody out in due course. John chapter 4, beginning at verse number 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to go to Bojangles. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give you, or that I give him, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had how many church? Five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat 
that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, did someone bring him Arby's? Seriously. <laughs> Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one, who's, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the church world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Fathers, we open this long passage, reveal things to us that we could not divine on our own. Help us to see our Savior willing to save, our Lord willing to sanctify, our Master willing to lead. God, help us in this moment to draw near to Jesus. In Christ we pray. Amen and amen. Some big thoughts, big thoughts. And you might want to take notes because you'll want to discuss these things vigorously during life together this week. Some of you who have that habit and some of you are going to brave a life together group for the first time this week. I just know it. I just know it. Big idea number one. And I'm going to give you guys some S words. They're not in your notes. These are I'm going to give you guys some S words with every one of these big points to help you grasp hold to how big of, this, of, of, of a big deal this story really is. First big idea, this is a story of sovereign providential pursuit. Sovereign providential pursuit. In other words, if I were to characterize this in one word, I would say this is a story of somebody being seen, being seen. Now, geography is an important factor in this story. Okay, like I have a map up here. You may have this map in your Bible. You may not. But this, this is an important map. I know it's kind of small, but so I'll just talk about the colors. You might say to uh, what is to your right that, uh, I think it's to your right. No, your left. Um, <laughs> that big brown part we might say is Judea. And you see right above it, the blue part, and that's Samaria. And then above that, the I don't know what color to call that, the more sand, sand color. The sandier sand, that would be Galilee. Now, Jews thought about this in people groups. The Romans thought about it in departments. And so you might say Jesus was leaving. He was leaving the area of Bethany. He was, he was leaving the area of Jericho or the, the Red Sea. I mean, excuse me, the uh, Jordan River above that. And you might say he had to pass through Samaria to get to Galilee. But it's... Frankly, it's not true. It's not true. Uh, is it probably the shortest route to where he was headed? Yes. But did he have to? No. This is a story of geography, but geography isn't the point. 
Why did he have to pass through there? He had to pass through there because he had to meet this woman. He was searching for her. He was seeking for her. Just as Luke chapter 19, verse number 10 says, he came to seek and to save the lost. He was pursuing this woman. He was pursuing this woman, and he was pursuing his village. He was pursuing this people group. He was leading them to salvation so that he might raise up uh, missionaries and pastors and elders and deacons from among them, and they would reach their folks. What was he, did he have to pass through? Yes, he had to pass through. You know why he had to pass through? Because in his providence, he was after a soul, and through his sovereignty, he was moving time and space and every circumstance so that he sat at a well to meet a woman. This woman comes to the well, all she's looking for is water. She comes to the well looking for water. Jesus comes to the water looking for a woman. You know, there's so many things that we could talk about in these first eight verses. The real big point is all these details tell us the story, the sensible story from our viewpoint of how he met this woman. There's sometimes in the Bible these kind of could be deemed nonsensible stories. Like there's this guy in the book of Acts, and it seems like he's Star Trek-style teleported from one place to the next. The Bible actually in the Greek, it even says he was transported and what it does is it doesn't explain how the Spirit moved him, but what's real plain is the Spirit moved him. That's what all these details are doing. The Spirit of God is moving the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, to the place where God can encounter a person. Now, I don't know where your well might be or have been. My well was a living room, 108 Home Place, Roxboro, North Carolina, 275 as I reached for a Coors Light, like a lightning bolt from heaven, stopped me and said, set that down and let's talk. And that was my well moment. He was breaking through all of my foolishness. He was exercising all of his sovereignty, working through all of his providence so that he could meet with me. If anybody has ever had a word from the living God, it's because he orchestrated it to meet with you. That's how he works. It's likely he's going to talk to somebody tonight. He talks to believers. I mean, if you're here, okay, let's just take a quick survey. You're clothed, basically, in your right mind. Amen? You're generally well. Amen? Uh, if you came here, there's no, well, there's very little public transportation. It's likely you drove or rode with somebody. Amen? We live in a relatively free nation, amen, especially when it comes to travel. There's, there's hardly anywhere in the world you can travel so far so easily as you can right here. So you could have been most anywhere, right, or most nowhere. But what has God done? God has orchestrated through your freedom and through the pokes at your Spirit to move even your free will to get up and gather and be under this word. And if you're here next week, it'll be the same exercise. He will have done it again. That's how he moves. I want us to see that when God pursues people, it's God doing all the work. Why did Nicodemus even have a question? Because God gave him a question. Why come to Jesus? Why not go to the Encyclopedia Britannica? Never mind, they didn't have the Encyclopedia to Britannica. 
but they had the Cyclopedia Alexandra. They had the library in Egypt. He didn't go there, did he? He saw the work of Jesus, and he took his question to Jesus. This woman has no questions. So Jesus meets her and gives her a few. Secondly, when God pursues, it is to offer satisfaction. Somebody say amen. Somebody ought to say amen. Now, I want you to see something, all right? Let me give you all a little English lesson. Lesson. The word entendre is a French word. It means two things. So when we say double entendre, two times two is, thank you, Carson. He said it correctly, faux. Some of y'all said four. It's 20, not 20. Well, for the sake of our grammatical ease, we'll say it's a double entendre. This lady has walked to the well like everyone in the village has to do. She's drawn water. She gets the water, and guess what she has to do? Walk it back home. How far does she live? We don't know. But Jesus says, and you can play with the Greek all day long. You don't need to. He says, lady, would you like running water? And she goes, well, you know, we've had this water a long time. I mean, it keeps springing up here, but I love running water. Now, the summer that I turned four years old, we moved into a brand-new house in Alton, Virginia. But right before we moved into that house, we lived in a house that had a sink but no bathroom. We still had outhouses. We'd have to go out there at night and check things out before you sit down. I was definitely afraid spiders would get my bum bum. We used to take sink and tub baths. And if you took a tub bath right on that back little porch, you freeze to death, you'd run in the house and get up next to the stove. I was a little bit, that's some of my earliest memories. Like, I'd rather be dirty. I don't want to take a bath like this. So if somebody had come to our house and says, would you like an indoor plumbing? Yes, please. Right? So would you like running water? The woman goes, oh, Yeah. But then he ups it. He says, if this water is running through you, you'll never be thirsty again. She's intrigued by the idea of running water. That's almost enough for her. Amen? But Jesus antes it up. This water will run through you, and it'll run through you forever. You know, she's defended her well. She says, sir, this water's deep. We've had it for a long time. Jacob gave us this well. He drank from it. His descendants drank from it. His livestock drank from it. This water is welling up for us here. And he says, well, I want you to have living water. Sign me up, and I want you to have living water that is welling up to eternal life. She says, sir, where can I get this water? I love her spirit in this way. It sort of mirrors or, or, or reveals a, a, a beautiful prophecy. I'm only going to sample the prophecy. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 reads like this. Come. Isn't that just inviting? Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come. Buy and eat. He who has no money, come and do what? You know what they're inviting? Come and you pick out anything, no matter what it costs, I'll pay. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, last week in our Life Together group, I wanted to make uh, smoothie bowls um, for everybody. And it's, uh, I don't know how everybody else does it. I just know how I do it. And, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I had enough ingredients. So I was texting my group. I was like, who's coming? And, and uh, people say they're coming. And some people never answer you. And you, 
you get angry with them, and you have to pray for your heart, and then you, and then you just try to guess count. You know what I mean by guess count? Because, I mean, you just want to have, you know, I don't know how you guys feel, but I hate it when you do things and you're worried you'll run out. Um, it's not that I'm worried about being embarrassed. I'm going to say something that night that's going to be way more embarrassing than running out of stuff. He said, I want to invite people and be gracious. I mean, you know, I want to be able to say, you want some more. I don't want to say to anyone, you can't have any. And so we got the number, and then I, then I says, well, someone is going to say, I didn't message you, but can I come? And sure enough, someone did. And when they said that, guess what I was able to say? No problem. Come on. And then extra people came, and then after we had eaten until our teeth were frozen, I was able to say, would anyone like seconds? And I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever eaten with David Solomon, but he's this big, but he can eat this big. So David had his first bowl, and it was exactly what you asked to be in it, right, David? And then he said, I said, would you like more? He said, yes. I brought him a bowl, and it had to weigh three pounds. It did. He said, this is more than the first. And I said, man, yes. I, I want to tell you, this is the invitation. When you hear God say, come, he's not coming just to drip some water into your soul. He said, no, there's going to be water running through you, and it's never going to run out, and you'll never get thirsty again, and there will always be enough of me, and you'll never outdo my graciousness. But he tells this woman, it's like, baby, you got a dipper. I got a river. Sometimes we just see God as having a thimble. We don't even see him with a dipper. He's going, boys and girls, I got a river. And I don't want you just to live by it. I want it to live in you. That's his offer. No wonder, even if she don't understand, right? <laughs> she says, where can I get this water? I'll tell you guys a long story short. You know, you go to the store now, you can get 12 kinds of toilet paper. Well, that's a bad analogy in the last year. You can get 12 kinds of cheese, right? You, I mean, you can. You, I stand in front of the cheese door and just go, man, wow, which one? Uh, now, some things it's no thinking. If it's not Duke's mayonnaise, stop what you're doing. Man, don't turn Barbara spiritual up in here. <laughs> she said, yes. Right. But... You know, you know, one thing that first time I went to Ukraine, I saw what it looked like to be where there was limited supply and few choices. It was even though they had been some time out of communism, they were still suffering in their supply and market chain. Does that make sense to y'all? And one day I was walking by the store and I just got my interpreter. I said, why is everybody in line? He says, there's something. <laughs> I was like, what? He says, they don't know but they have something. And so people see other people standing in line, they go, oh, yeah. Do you know, do you know Jesus is putting somebody at the front of this line and he's going to use this woman to say she's getting something? What is she getting? I ain't sure, but I can tell she got it. And I want to get in this line. One of the problems in American, America with we as Christians is there such a smorgasbord of things that are tempting to pursue to please us that we'll go try everything that's easy to reach and ignore the one that's reaching out to us? He, what he's offering is an offer to satisfy. 
Somebody knows it's coming, though. Here's the tough part. Okay, and what's the word there? Satisfaction. I want to give you an S word for every single one of these. What's that first S word? Seen. He saw her. His intention is to satisfy her. Here's your third S word. He must confront her sin. God's offer of satisfaction comes with his confrontation, desiring repentance. And I don't want anybody to mistake what I mean. God is going to get up in your business. I want to tell you something, and I don't mean to sound bad here, but without conviction of sin, there will be no conversion. The person who tells me they come into the delight of the relief of salvation without experiencing the terror of confrontation, who, either they got a blessing that every true believer before them has not gotten, or it's the coming. Look at what he says to her. He says, go get your husband. She says, I ain't got one. He says, I know. You've had five, and now you're shacked up. And all this willy-nilly divorcing, it ain't right. And this being shacked up ain't right. Seems kind of cruel that Jesus would just get in her face like that, doesn't it? Go, yeah, you ain't got no man. You shacked up like a trick right now. It's that strong. What he's saying is that strong. Michaela, you know what happens to them tricks, don't you? They always self-report. What does she do? She says, I ain't got no husband. She says, I know. Now, it may seem cruel, but it's like this. You go into the doctor and you say, I would have you be well. You'd be like, yes, me too. He says, so you have to start exercising and change your entire diet. You go, well, you know, being unwell isn't as bad as I imagined. I went and got my 50-year-old checkup. A week later, they called me and said, we'd like you to get a uh, a colonoscopy, coloscopy. I said, I think I feel okay. <laughs> we don't like dealing with the pain on the way to wellness. And if your 70, 80, 90, 100-year-old life understands its importance, what about your eternal soul? He confronts her sin because he loves her. He has clearly stated his purpose that he came not to call the righteous but sinners. He came to call sinners. Richard Phillips said, no, it's 